afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? Welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Wojak. Luke Smith is here, and we're recording this on Sunday morning following Notre Dame's 41-24 victory over the 16th-ranked Syracuse Orange in the JMA Wireless Dome. Uh, it wasn't perfect, but it was a big step in the right direction as Notre Dame attempts to salvage its season after a rocky first half of the year. It was also the first of three ranked games left on the schedule for Notre Dame as we turn the calendar to November. So this outcome was very important in order for them to close the year out strong. We're going to start... Uh, with the positives today, because there there were a lot of those, and uh, we're going to talk about all the good stuff we saw from the Irish. If you've been with us since the early days of this podcast, it'll, it'll be a bit more like our old recap episodes, and we, we basically just picked three things we liked and three we didn't like from this one. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, please like the video below and subscribe to our channel. And if you're listening to the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe from wherever you're tuning in from. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back, so tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings up to 100% with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt-in, and place a stepped-up same-game parlay today. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the NBA. Speaking of which, how are uh, how are you feeling about that Cavs prediction a, a few games into the season? So far, so good. Cavs 2-1. and one. Darius Garland got hurt in the season opener, and I thought, oh boy, this season might be over. Uh, but he's good. He's going to be back in a few games, and Donovan Mitchell is as advertised. How are you feeling about the Bulls? Well, uh, they announced about... Two days before, or maybe it was the day before the opener, that Zach Levine would be on a load management schedule, and that resulted in him not playing in the opener or the second game of the year. He's not playing back-to-backs. Not really sure how that happens at the start of the year after you just supermaxed him, but um, whatever. <laughs> um, it's going to be an interesting year. <laughs> All right, well, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code SOS. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code SOS. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. This episode is sponsored by Haas Company, a lifestyle brand that's about being the best version of yourself. Be the Haas. The Haas lives life without reservations, without doubt, and ready to answer the call each and every day. Check out their website at bethehaas.com and use promo code SUNS for 15% off on your next order. Check them out. This episode is also supported by Roback. Shop game-changing active wear with Roback. For those who crave activity, use the promo code SUNSND, that's S-O-N-S-N-D, to get 20% off your next order in the entire store at Roback.com. But we encourage all of our listeners to check out the Shamrock Polo, which would look great on Irish fans everywhere. 
That's promo code SUNSND at R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. All right, let's get it going here. Luke, lead us off. What were your biggest takeaways from Saturday? Despite Drew Pine's ineptitude, uh, it was the best game Notre Dame's played this year. Defense, running game, special teams all contributed. Uh, Notice that I conveniently left out the passing game there. Um, (laughs) But what I like the most is that when Syracuse made a bit of a run when the backup quarterback was inserted and and seemed to have some momentum, Notre Dame had a response, uh, and and they got a turnover right away. Given what we've seen from this group at times this year, it, it was far from a guarantee that they would have a response, so that was refreshing to see. Um, as I said in the preview, nothing that happened in this game is going to influence how I felt about Clemson, but I'm just excited that we're finally at Clemson week now. Yeah, I think this season hasn't always been the most fun. There's been a lot of really frustrating No, it's, it's actually not been fun at all. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good to see because I think this game was fun. Uh, there were yeah. certainly points where things did get a little bit hairy when they probably didn't need to be. But I would say... The North Carolina game was probably the most fun just because it was kind of hysterical how bad North Carolina's defense was, and they made Drew Pine look like a really competent college quarterback. And even when North Carolina was getting points, it was kind of at the game. It was a lot of window dressing. I didn't feel like North Carolina was ever threatening. This game, I did feel like there was a point where Syracuse was certainly poised to come back. I mean, they had momentum. The crowd was getting back into it. They were only down a touchdown and had the ball. Then Notre Dame's defense comes up with a huge play. Maris Leofile makes an interception. Notre Dame promptly scores. And then the game was pretty much over from that point. So overall, I think it was a a really fun viewing experience when there haven't been a whole lot of those. For sure, Um, because you're right. Like pretty much every game this year has just been kind of like watching paint dry. So um, that was definitely a a plus from yesterday. And nice to get it out of the way early, Um, just kind of rip it at 11 a.m. I liked the broadcast yesterday, too. I know that everybody loves to complain about our own home broadcast, which I think is totally fine. But um, (laughs) I thought the broadcast yesterday with Greg McElroy and Joe Testator was good. Uh, McElroy doesn't really hold back, which is is kind of funny. But I, I enjoyed that, that viewing experience for the most part. It was fun, and it was early, but then when you when Notre Dame gets a win like that, that early in the day, it does kind of set the stage for the rest of the day. It's overall just a lot more positive. You get to enjoy the other college football games a little bit more. Um, you're right, McElroy came out, and he came out hot, much like the Notre Dame defense did, because first play of the game, Schrader throws a pick right to Brandon Joseph, and he returns it for a touchdown. This was the first of Brandon Joseph's career, and McElroy in the replay was just dogging Schrader, as he should, though, because it was a pretty inexplicable play. He was staring him down the entire time. Uh, But I think that leads us to the positives because I think Brandon Joseph's game was certainly one of the best things we saw from Notre Dame. What really sticks out to you? Like which performances stick out to you, I guess I should say. I think the the ones that kind of go hand in hand here are just the running game combined with the offensive line's performance. Um, Notre Dame had 246 yards on the ground. I believe they ran the ball 56 times. (laughs) Um, Estimate had a big bounce-back game after having some issues with fumbles the last few weeks. He ended up with 20 carries for 123 yards and two touchdowns. 68 of those came after contact, so he's averaging over six yards a clip. That's pretty good. Diggs also had 20 carries for 85 yards and a touchdown, um, 51 after contact. So just the way these guys are running is is really impressive, I think. Um, you know, I, I think I saw that – I think when they ran left, they went for like maybe 233 yards or something like that, which is just insane. Um, but a lot of credit to Joe Alt and Jared Patterson over there. Um, but I, I think just it is 
I mean, people were freaking out at the start of the year, and, and yeah, we weren't happy with the fact that the offensive line wasn't up to par yet either, but they've certainly rounded into form, um, and now I just hope next year we can avoid that little growing or learning period at the start of the year. I know. It seems like every year, the first three games. This year, same thing. I I, I actually saw a little bit of the Marshall-Coastal Carolina game, and I was like, how did that? Did they lose? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure they lost. I think they're th- I think they're like three and six. Okay. Well, again, we're not we're not going to talk too much about the Marshall game. Let's sit, let's stick with the positives because you're right. The offensive line was dominant, and from the very beginning of the game, Notre Dame was just moving them, especially between the tackles, just running right through them. And then the combination uh, in the backfield between Estime and Diggs was really strong. Diggs had another really solid game: twenty carries, eighty-five yards. Fifty-one of those eighty-five came after contact. Uh, he had a touchdown as well. Good to see him get in the end zone because he's kind of been handling the bulk of the load and hasn't really been able to get in the end zone. So that was good to see. And they kept Pine clean, too, for the better part of the game. He did take one huge hit, but I think that had more to do with the fact that Pine just waited too long to throw the ball. So the offensive line that struggled at the beginning of the year, but coming into the season we thought was going to be one of the team's biggest strengths is definitely that now on offense. Another thing, too, is this running game. Going into the game, we all agreed like this should be a strength of Notre Dame's attack. Syracuse's rush defense isn't all that great. But it's good to see when Notre Dame's the strengths we think they should have, it's great to see it actually play out on Saturday because that hasn't always been the case. No, and I think, um, you know, honestly, I'll go just really quickly to the defensive side of the ball here. Isaiah Foskey had a, had a really big game. Um, he showed up, and we needed him. He had three tackles, uh, a sack, two tackles for loss and, and a quarterback hurry. He probably would have, I mean, had three more sacks if these refs weren't just the most atrocious officials I've seen this year. Um, just an unbelievable yeah, on that amount part. of egregious, uh, egregious holding calls missed. But he's now second all-time uh, tied with Corey Miner um, for sacks at Notre Dame with 22 and a half. Too short of Justin Tuck's record. feel pretty confident saying I think he's going to get there. Um, so that was, that was great to see, obviously. Um, because he is not really, prior to that, had not really had a great game and in some of our marquee games. Yeah, and we had sort of asked and just wanted more from Foskey. That's not to say that he isn't the best player on the defense, because he is, and he's had some really good moments this year. But in the games that mattered most, Foskey just hasn't been there. And there's been a lot of times where Notre Dame's defense desperately needed a play to be made. And when that happens, you got to count on your stars. And unfortunately, in a lot of the losses that Notre Dame's had this year, Foskey didn't step up. So credit to him. He had a huge game. Uh, two more guys who've been under fire quite a bit this year, but I thought had really strong performances on Saturday were J.D. Bertrand and Mar- Maris Leofau. Bertrand, we know his limitations, but we've also seen him make some really good plays from Notre Dame. And over the past two years, he has been one of our most reliable defenders. I think that's fair to say. Maybe not always the most consistent, but he's he's always around the ball, especially on this game. He finished with five solo tackles, a tackle for a loss, two QB hurries. And then Maris Leofau, in my opinion, made the biggest play of the game. Uh, those guys, you know, the linebacking group or the linebacking core as a whole has been really frustrating. But again, in a game where Notre Dame needed its best players and its leaders to make plays, these guys did. Yeah, and honestly, thank God that that ball was tipped by Howard Cross because... Um he overplayed the hell out of that. <laughs> Otherwise, he was getting burned if that didn't get tipped. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you saw that. But anyways, he did make the play. So not to diminish anything there. But yeah, I, I did think J.D. Bertrand had a really good game yesterday as well. Um, he, he diagnosed a, a screen at one point, I think on like third and long. It was a really nice play. Um, definitely seemed to 
to have his best performance yesterday, I think, maybe outside of the Stanford game, um, but I was impressed. Um, the other thing we didn't mention about Foskey that I just remembered, there was a play where he was like 30 yards downfield in coverage on Sean Tucker, and I was like, and it, it didn't look awkward at all. It just looked like, yeah, he can actually do this. Which so. Yeah, it's one of those things, too, where they didn't throw to Tucker, so it didn't like jump out at you, but then you look back and you're like, wait, is that Foskey running downfield yeah. and making a play? So, yeah, he's... He's clearly Notre Dame's best player on defense. Great to see him come up big in this one because Notre Dame is definitely going to need him going forward. Another guy who hasn't had much of an impact this year on the defense but came up big on Saturday was Jordan Botello. It was even funnier, too, because there was a point earlier in the game where he was out in the field, and you texted a group chat of ours and said, when was the last time he got serious snaps on defense? And I feel like literally I, not right serious after snaps, he, a snap. <laughs> yeah, and then right after you sent that, he gets a tackle for a loss. Yeah, and the answer here is that he had not had a defensive snap since North Carolina. He had 13 yesterday, so uh, definitely made the most of his of his time yesterday. I mean, I think a lot of that is just a depth thing, and he has been phased out for whatever reason. You can't really find a real position, but good to see him take advantage. It was just kind of interesting. I was having that that thought as we were watching the game because Braden Lindsey didn't seem to get any offensive snaps yesterday either, which was kind of bizarre, but then was on special teams, just like Patello has kind of been. Um that brings me to another guy, though, who seemed to take Braden Lindsay's snaps yesterday, and that's Deion Colsey. Uh, he had three catches for 44 yards, uh, including a big third-down conversion in the second half. It's not only the most he's played all year. Uh, coming into that game, he had 23 snaps on the season. He played 30 yesterday, so he he played more than he had already played all season. Um, and really good to see, you know, because I think there's been some talk about is he ready as a sophomore, all this stuff, and he showed yesterday he was ready for the moment. Yeah, without a doubt. Two guys, both number 16 on Notre Dame, coming up big uh, and making plays. And you're kind of like, wait, who is this? Is that Colsey? And sure enough, it was. He actually led the Notre Dame wide receivers with three catches for 44 yards. And I realized <laughs> that's not great. <laughs> but no. consider the circumstances and what Notre Dame's uh, receiving core has done this year. It's great to see someone else make some plays because it's not like he didn't make any last year. Um, he had a big third down catch against USC that immediately comes to mind. He actually got way more reps last year than he did this year. Now, granted, he did have the knee injury in camp, but really good to see him making plays. The Notre Dame pass game is definitely the biggest weakness on the team, but good opportunity to give a shout-out to Michael Mayer, who salvages what whatever is left of that passing game. He finished with three catches, 54 yards. He also, I don't know if you saw this, uh, after he returned the onside kick, he goes down and immediately gets up and pointed to a Syracuse player and then I think was drawing at him or maybe the Syracuse bench. I mean, what kind of dumbass is talking shit to Michael Mayer? Of all the guys, he's not the one. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think they have some pretty dumb guys on that team, like the the running back, Tucker, who just tweets about his performances every week. So um, I think they might just have a stupid problem in Syracuse. Well, <laughs> on that note, though, uh, Brandon Joseph trolled Tucker after the game with that picture. Uh, it basically said he's pleased with his performance, which is, I guess, the bit that Tucker runs. But I think it might, with Mayer, when he recovered that onside, it looked like the Syracuse guy was kind of going at his head, basically yeah, trying to I knock th- his head I off. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. And Mayer quickly went down, recognized it, and avoided it, but then got up and pointed to him like, really, dude, you're going to try to take out my head? But even if, if the Syracuse guy had connected with Mayer's head, it probably would have even been a targeting based on <laughs> based on how that game was officiated. No, or honestly how targeting has been officiated with Notre Dame this year. So, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I think that was really good. 
Um, overall, I think the defense, you know, it is kind of difficult to analyze it uh, as a whole, or maybe we should just grade it just with the understanding that Schrader, uh Syracuse's starting quarterback, was clearly banged up uh, in this well, one. Well, was he? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he did not look like himself. I think I he think just stinks. I think they should have started the other guy. <laughs> yeah, the other guy. Del Rio. He kind of he kind of put some fear into you. He could at least yeah. make a play. Yeah. I mean, it is it's. I was going to say it's mildly concerning. No, it's it's pretty damn concerning that Syracuse's backup is significantly better than our backup quarterback. But whatever, we're still on the positives right now. So Schrader comes out, he finishes with it, just an abysmal stat line: five of fourteen passing for thirty five yards and a touchdown in a pick and a tongue lashing from Greg McElroy on the worst possible decision <laughs> ever made on that uh pick 6 that Brandon Joseph had. I know. McElroy really set the tone on that broadcast early, so credit to him. Um the reason I think he was banged up is because they didn't factor him into the running game at all. And against Clemson, True. he was their best runner. So the fact that they weren't running anything to him, Notre Dame was able to sort of key on Sean Tucker and they held him in check for pretty much the entire game. Tucker had one pretty big run of 21 yards. Other than that, though, he only gained 39 yards on his other 15 carries, which nets out to 2.6 yards per carry. So it's cliche to say, but Notre Dame was able to run the ball, and they stopped the run. That's the reason they won this game. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, Honestly, I feel like they have been, outside of the Marshall game, pretty good defending the run this year, Um, and, and yesterday was no different. Uh, last one, I can't believe it's taken us this long to uh, to get to this point. We're 15 minutes in. We haven't even mentioned the pump block unit. And your boy, Clarence Lewis, CPA, getting in on the action. Yeah, he blocked one, almost had another. Um, and it, on, the one that he did block, it, it gave Notre Dame the ball within the 10-yard line. Audrey Gastemay scored on the next play. So I think they're tied to lead the nation with South Carolina for most block punts with five. Um I mean, yeah, I don't know if we had five block punts the last decade prior to this. <laughs> so, like, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it honestly might I don't, not be. I don't think it's an exaggeration. Yeah. I don't I'm think often, it is either. Yeah. It, it's Now it's something that you can basically count on because the offense certainly has its limitations. And so Notre Dame puts up 41 points in that game. Joseph's got the pick six, so that's a touchdown for the defense. And honestly, I'm going to credit – the special teams with another touchdown after that pump block because what? Notre Dame recovered that at the two, basically? Um, yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. So if the offense isn't going to be able to punch it in all the time, you got to get something uh, from the defense or at least have the defense put the offense in uh, short field a lot like they did against UNLV. So that was big. And that's going to be the recipe, I think, for Notre Dame going forward here because you're just not going to be able to count on this Notre Dame offense to consistently – sustain long drives down the field that result in touchdowns so really the first example this year where Notre Dame played complimentary football uh that game was it was getting dicey uh up until Leofau made that interception and then SMA punches it in for a touchdown like right away and then all all was well but I think that does lead us into Drew Pine's performance because uh he's he's getting worse he's he's not getting better yeah he's terrible um, just to, to put it bluntly, nine of 19, 116 yards, a TD and an awful pick where he, he should have just made that throw. I don't know how he throws it 10 yards above mayor's head or 10 feet above his head, but go figure. He only attempted five passes in the second half, completing one of them for 11 yards, which is just comical. Um, we're not asking him to do anything. 
like too serious. As I think as you said, we're not asking him to be Bryce Young. Right now, he can't be Pat Dillingham. Um, he's just that bad. So I, I don't know. It it like it certainly just gives me pause about okay, like what is this team going to be able to do when they play a, a good opponent that can take away the run? Because ah man, it is just you kind of just cringe every time he drops back and throws the ball. Um, and I don't know if there's an answer. Like I would imagine. If they had even a like a thought that Steve Angeli might be ready, they would probably go to him at this point, but that's probably not the case. Um, so we're just kind of stuck with this Deloitte consultant who stinks, but um, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, they put in Angeli at the end of the game. That was kind of odd. It seemed like they just forced him to get reps, but it's not like he's throwing the ball. He's just handing the ball off. Right. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I, we We can harp on Drew Pine as much as we want, the fact of the matter is it just has to be better. Notre Dame has to have more output from the quarterback position. Like This is embarrassing. And that interception he had, I agree with you. Everyone's like, why didn't he just throw the check down? Okay, yes, the check down was certainly there, and he should have done it uh, compared to throwing an interception. But that throw wasn't that hard. The three no. defenders for Syracuse were, I think, five yards underneath him. He just isn't able to put any touch on any of his passes. Like He just throws a line drive way over his head. Mayer jumps up, tries to make a play, tips it up, and then it gets picked off. And you're right. It's not a kind of cringe. Literally every time that Drew Pine drops back to pass, I almost like put my hands in my face like, oh my God, why, why are we you mean like You this? mean like Tommy Reese did in the booth that they caught on the broadcast? <laughs> I, first of all, I, I can certainly relate to how Tommy feels in that moment because that's how I feel. Every time Drew Pine just throws a ball at someone's feet or just airmails, like, what, was his first attempt? No, it wasn't his first attempt, but that third down, very early in the game, Michael Mayer, your best yeah. player, runs a five-yard out on third down. It should be the easiest pass. He's terrible. A quarterback <laughs> can make, and he airmails it. Like, it's not even close. And with Michael yeah. Mayer, all you have to do is throw it in the vicinity, and he's going to make the play, and he can't even do that. It's, it's agonizing, really. It is truly, like, pulling teeth, watching him play quarterback, and... Tommy Reese, again, he, they caught him on the broadcast. Uh, I didn't think he was nearly as animated as the one where he's like, do your fucking job. And not like that one. It was very point blank. He's like, you have to, a job to do, and you have to get it done. Like that third and nine screenplay to Lorenzo Siles was perfectly drawn up. Notre Dame had numbers. They had blockers on the outside. If Pine puts that on them, which, by the way, is a 10-yard pass, maybe the easiest throw you could possibly make, well, behind the five-yard out to Mayer, that could be a touchdown. Notre Dame is getting guys in good positions to make plays, and Pine just can't get him the ball. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many throws he skipped yesterday into, but that's just infuriating. Um, learn how to throw the football. It's really not – I mean, you are a Division One athlete. There, I know you joked about this in jest, but, like, I actually am starting to think that there are guys on campus who can throw the ball better than Pine can. Um, like, I, and if they're out there, hey, open tryouts right now because this guy, he fucking stinks. <laughs> I guess the real question here is what's holding Notre Dame back from bringing in Angeli? If the offense is going to be – He's not ready. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that, but, like, it's it's certainly scary to think that Angeli isn't as good as Pine at this point because Pine says every day during the week that he's a very confident quarterback. That's not what the issue is. I don't know how he I, – I don't see that being the case at all on the field. Like, that's one thing to say, but 
if you're not confident enough to throw a screen pass to Lorenzo Styles, like I don't know how you're confident enough to to run this offense and lead this team because it seems like at this point Notre Dame is winning in spite of him. You know what I mean? Like they're playing with one arm tied behind their back. And credit to him because they're still they beat a ranked team by 17. It's just crazy to think how good this team could be if they just had a semi competent quarterback. No, 100. Um, it's honestly making me angry even thinking about it. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess we'll see what happens this weekend against Syracuse. Uh, Tommy Reese is going to have to get against really Clemson. Creative, or against Clemson, you know what I mean. Uh, Tommy Reese and the offense are going to have to get really creative because they they can't just bludgeon Clemson. They're too good. But we'll talk more about that later. The Notre Dame's red zone defense is the worst in the country. That's not an exaggeration. They are no, it's true. literal. Man. They are literally <laughs> the worst in the country. At Syracuse, the patter continues. They got in the red zone three times and they scored three touchdowns and they scored all three. Very easily. Uh, before you and I said this has to do with the, guy, the fact that Notre Dame's playmakers on defense uh, haven't been making plays. This game, it didn't happen. But also schematically, like, why was Notre Dame in a situation where Benjamin Morrison was going one-on-one with Gatson, their best receiver, with zero safety help, and as McElroy pointed out in the broadcast, was just giving up the inside, basically saying, please run this slant on us in man coverage. And th- that was the easiest touchdown they've given up all year. Yeah, I didn't get that at all either. Um, you're right. It is a little perplexing. And just why are they so bad when they get down there? Because they're really not that bad between the 20s. Um, no, not at all. And, I mean, just more generally, while we're kind of on that topic, um, the defensive backs outside of Brandon Joseph just had a pretty bad day yesterday. Benjamin Morrison got picked on a little bit. I think targeted five times, let up a TD. Um, 43 yards, nearly another big catch. Thankfully, the wide receiver stepped out of bounds. He also had a holding penalty. Tariq Bracey uh, was targeted six times, let up four receptions for 88 yards. Cam Hart can't catch picks that are thrown right to him and also can't really tackle. We mentioned Clarence Lewis having a block punt, which is nice, but he also got toasted for a touchdown. Houston Griffith is just typical missed tackles, bad angles. I mean, that's what you get. And I see that, like, it says that Syracuse had three drops. They had, like, eight. I, I don't, like, <laughs> Gadsden alone had five. Like, I'm not kidding. He, there were five balls put on him that he should have caught, and he dropped them. So we got pretty lucky, honestly, in that sense, because if their receivers were halfway decent, um, could have been an interesting game. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of been the, the theme of this defense all year. Like, is the secondary good? They've had some solid performances, I would say. Like, they held Ohio State in check, which is – really good and I, I think they contained Drake May despite giving up a few big touchdowns on busted coverages but yeah not a great performance from the secondary in this one Morrison is frustrating right now because I understand I think Morrison is going to be a great player and we're dealing with you know the growing pains you have to deal with when you start a true freshman at cornerback uh, Syracuse was not afraid of him at all like they were going right at him early and often Bracey sort of came back to earth a little bit like you mentioned and going forward, I don't really know what the rotation is going to be here because, yeah, Brandon Joseph stepped up, made a big play. It's surprising now to see, Lu- or I guess Clarence Lewis just not really a factor at all. And then when he is out there, like, you can't just give up a touchdown. It's right like away. pretty much like I, I hate to say it, but it's pretty much like a big player or a touchdown like per snap. Yeah. Yeah. The, the best thing you could do if you're a defensive back is just not your name not be called in the broadcast. And Lewis, yeah. Uh, 
I guess he's efficient <laughs> when he's on the field. I mean, he made the punt block, and he got a bunch of love on the sideline, and credit to him. That was a big play, and Notre Dame desperately needed that. But every time he's on the field, he doesn't have that many snaps, and you certainly know, oh, Clarence Lewis was out there, for better or worse. Yeah, no, exactly. But one other thing I wanted to mention, the Chris Tyree character arc, if you will, this season has been really puzzling because yeah. at the start of the season, we were begging Chris Tyree to get more carries, get more touches, and he came up big against Cal. He was a big part of the game plan and capitalized. And then ever since that game, it's been a slow, steady downhill trek. And now I'm kind of at the point where when he does get carries, I'm like, okay, Kind of wish it were Diggs or Estimate. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it is weird. Um, I felt like he was running more physically at the start of the year. Um, and that just, I don't know if he's banged up or whatever. He just doesn't really seem to be having that same burst. I also just would like them to use him in the passing game more often. Then again, that requires a quarterback who's not a moron that can throw <laughs> the ball. But, um, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, at least swing so, passes, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, wheel route never hurt anybody. But anyways, um, yeah, it, it is a little bit perplexing for sure. He definitely seems to have fallen off or, or hit a wall or something. And he's supposed to be like the game breaker among the skill guys. And, and in order to do that, you got to be able to break tackles. And I feel like he runs so hard and he's so short that as soon as he gets hit, he falls. Like he's not really right. – he's very shifty and he's very quick – but if you get a hand on him, he's going down. If Notre Dame is going to get the most out of him, I feel like you just got to stop running him in between the tackles. That's yeah. not that's not his thing. Leave right. that to Estimate. Leave that to Diggs. Who's those guys are just so physical. I mean, Estimate dribbled a Syracuse player's head on the turf. Like that's that pretty awesome. Ferocious. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Whereas Tyree, he's not really getting like jet sweeps end arounds. Like now, Brain Lindsay didn't play, but I'd much rather see like Tyree get the end around and stuff right. like that. And if Drew Pine isn't going to be able to throw the ball five yards downfield, and I know he can barely throw a screen, like maybe you just get Tyree on some little bubbles. Like we don't, does Notre Dame run any bubble screens or anything like that? Uh, not particularly. Yeah. So that could be a way to get Tyree involved still without handing him the ball in between the tackles. But it, his regression has been just, it's really interesting what he finished with eight carries. 23 yards. That's the least among the backs. Hell, Drew Pine had 15 yards rushing, so he was only eight away yeah. from him. Um, okay, let's let's talk about the officiating in this one because uh, this we've been talking about Clarence Lewis. The touchdown he did give up should not have been a touchdown because the wide receiver on Syracuse, I thought it was pretty clear. It was out of bounds. so clear. Like, I don't know what they were possibly looking at there. Yeah, and Brandon Joseph had a second interception that was wiped off. And Credit to uh, Tim Priester at Irish Illustrated because he pointed out that Dino Babers, Syracuse head coach, I guess he sent several plays to the ACC after the Clemson game and, and basically was complaining, saying that they got hosed on a few calls. Syracuse was the most penalized team in the country coming into this game. I think they had 18 in their season opener, something ridiculous like that. And all of a sudden, Notre Dame, who I think came into this game eighth least penalized team in the country, they had five penalties for 50 yards in the first quarter. Now, some of those were justified. I mean, the, the Morrison hold uh, immediately. The face mask was not. Yeah. <laughs> You've already mentioned the holding calls that they missed. It was ridiculous. There's one that really sticks out where Riley Mills was basically yeah. getting dragged to the ground. They ended up throwing it away, so it was kind of inconsequential. But stuff like that, uh, the ACC as a whole, we've talked about it before, maybe not so much this season, uh, but they got to figure it out. And maybe Notre Dame just needs to leave the ACC for nothing else other than to get away from these awful officials. 
Yeah, no, I, I'm on board with that. Um, yeah, it wasn't something that I really got worked up about because the game was never really in doubt outside of like a quick minute there before the Leah foul pick, but it was just kind of like remarkable. Like, what are these guys doing? They're calling a horrific game. So, yeah, um, despite the officials, Notre Dame still has not lost a regular season game to an ACC opponent since November 11, 2017. So, there you go. I don't really know what to make of the ACC, man. They're just so it's bad. trash. Did you see it, Wake Forest get yeah, absolutely they got smoked by a, Louisville? I just that's kind of like the only reason why I, I like actually have I feel better about Clemson is like I don't know if these guys are very good because this league stinks. Yeah, I mean, what's Clemson's best win now? NC State, Syracuse. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess like. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't really know what to make of the ACC. Yeah, but you're right. It does kind of give you some hope here that Notre Dame can get it done on Saturday. And now, as we look ahead to Clemson here, I know TJ Uyunglele is probably going to start for Clemson. Will they stick with him the whole game? I don't know. But real quick, how are you feeling about that game? Uh, now it's Sunday. We still got a week to go. Just early impressions. I'm excited. Uh, it should be a raucous atmosphere. Like I mean that. I think people will actually be jacked up for this game. Um not everybody got the opportunity or snuck into the game in 2020. So I feel like a lot of people are probably feel cheated from that. So I, I would hope that it's a pretty good atmosphere and, you know, we'll see what happens out there. Um, they're a really talented team, but I don't, I see a, a, a path to victory. Certainly. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to go out and say we're going to win this game, but I'll probably get there. Um, so, so yeah, I'm excited. I think you're going to get there. I don't know. We'll see. It's uh, it's really hard with that guy at quarterback. <laughs> yeah, I guess the one silver lining here is that Clemson's quarterback situation, DJ took a big step back. Because earlier in the season, I was watching him play, especially in that NC State game. He looked really, really good, but did not look that good against Syracuse. They did have a bye this past week. Um, I don't know how much that matters, honestly. But Notre Dame, biggest home game of the year, which in a way – makes me more concerned because if you look at what Notre Dame has done away from home, they went toe-to-toe for four quarters with Ohio State. They handled North Carolina. They, I would say they handled BYU for the better part of that game. They beat Syracuse by 17. So what is that? They have two ranked wins. Um, no, actually, well, three ranked wins at the time, and they basically hung around with a team who's probably going to be ranked one or two in the country in this first CFP ranking. So I don't really know what to make sense of it, but Notre Dame is clearly a much better team away from home than they are. But hopefully they can sort of right that wrong this weekend. Yeah, I, I mean, it's all I got. <laughs> the only thing I'm a little worried about, I think there's going to be a whole lot of Clemson fans. Because they didn't get know. the chance. They didn't get yeah. the chance to go in 2020. Yeah, I, we'll see. I don't know. I, I, I don't know why Notre Dame doesn't do what Ohio State does and just barely sell tickets to opposing fans. Yeah, consider this a plea to all... Notre Dame fans to please pack the crowd because I don't want to see a bunch of gaudy orange in that crowd on Saturday. Yeah, I'm not particularly looking forward to that, but yeah. All right, well, you got any final thoughts on Syracuse before we move on to Clemson later in the week? No, I don't think so. Glad they won the game. That's kind of it. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Sons of Saturday. We will be back on Thursday this week for our full-fledged Clemson preview. In the meantime, give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sons of Sat Irish. Plus, you should subscribe to the YouTube channel and the podcast if you're real day one listener and haven't already uh for luke and myself thank you guys for tuning in and we will talk to you again in a few days